Last week, uh, we began a, a series, I didn't plan on it being a series, but apparently it's going to be, um, on Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is just one of my favorite, favorite stories because it uh, absolutely shows us a picture of what's going on even in our day and time. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see a lot of things that are portrayed through historical stories that end up being prophetic in terms of spiritual reality. Uh, the scripture tells us that first there's that which is natural and then that which is spiritual. And this is one of those cases in point. What was played out in a, in a more typical historical way here in the, the lives of the Jewish family of, uh, of God and, and, and what was going on in their world is now typical of what's going on in his family today. And so we see in the natural kind of portrayal what is happening in the realm of the spirit. Nehemiah himself <clears throat> is uh, a man whose name means Jehovah Comforts, uh, which uh, is exactly the same as what the Lord described when he ta- talked about sending the Holy Spirit. He said, I will send you another comforter like myself. And so the picture is, is apt. Uh, the story is, is very pertinent because Israel at that time had gone into bondage. They'd gone into uh, a devastating 150 years where they walked away from their heritage with God. And now they're living in a situation where enemies have come in and encroached upon their territory. The most of their people were taken away hostage down to Babylon. And Nehemiah finds himself being the, uh, the uh, cupbearer for uh, the ruler that was now in charge of that diaspora and, and in charge of that nation. And he is a type of the Holy Spirit. And in this situation, he, in, in his duties there before the king, finds that someone has come from Jerusalem to tell them how horrible the conditions are there. The walls have been knocked down for 150 years. 25 years ago, Ezra the priest went down to Jerusalem with the mandate to restore the temple and to restore worship there. And he had done so. And this is where the story gets interesting to me because there's so many of us today that have had an experience. There is actually worship going on in our lives, but the problem is that the walls of our life have come down. The problem is that the old enemies, the historical enemies that ever wake up on the right side of the bed where we're concerned are coming over our walls and they're treating us horribly. They're ripping us off. They're stealing from us. They're literally putting us in slavery even though we're living there in the presence of God. Am I talking to anybody in this place today? And so last week we talked about the fact that the Lord is picturing here how the Holy Spirit is burdened by this. And so Nehemiah knows that if he goes into the presence of the king with a worried countenance or an unhappy countenance, that he can literally have his head taken off his shoulders. It was just the custom of the time. Because you should never be in one so great as this particular king and be anything but thrilled and happy. But his heart was burdened because the people of God were being treated so miserably. So he goes in one day, he's noticed as being unhappy, and he shares this burden with the king, and God gives him favor, and the king speaks words over him. He gives him authority. He gives him letters of authority. The king's words are written down for him to carry with him. 
They're they're used to give him the authority to get all the resourcing that is necessary to bring things right there in Jerusalem. And so he's walking out of the presence of the king with this mandate. And I want you to know today that the holy comforter of God is still got a mandate. He's got written words from the king. He knows what God is about. He is the one that, that hears the words of God and reminds us of what God has said. And he has come and he's working here today. Josh reminded us today the Holy Spirit's in the room. We know that. But he's not just here to put on a show. He's not just here to cause goosebumps. He's not just here so that we have wonderful worship. He does inspire that, yes, but that's not the end product. The end product is that we go out of here with something burning inside of us and the devil gets a headache because we've changed. The bondages that want to reassert themselves in our lives need to be gone. The fear and the being overwhelmed by a world that's gone absolutely stark raving crazy. Oh, by the way, vote. And don't vote for anybody who is propagating ideas that you can't back up right here. It's way beyond time. The Democrats are crazy. The Republicans are equally crazy. And the Libertarians, well, they think crazy is cool. Bottom line is, if you can't If you can't focus on the Word of God and be happy with the ideas that they're trying to propagate, don't vote for them. And don't let them redefine it. Today we're talked to and talked down to about the idea of compassion. I I got news for you. As defined, compassion that's being sold to us is often covetousness. That's in the Ten Commandments. Do not covet that which is your neighbor's. We call it wealth redistribution. If we're wealthy, if we're godly, we will always want to help those that are cast down. But the government has no place in coveting what you've earned and redistributing to people who don't want to work or can't work Compassion, yes. Covetous, no. We got to get our heads on straight. The issues are being redefined for us. It's just amazing how you can do that, and the mass of people just follow right along because they don't think very deeply. And that's not in the notes. And I'll make some of you mad. But you know what? It's time. It's time we get honest here. Our country is in a mess. It is in a mess. And that's exactly what this Nehemiah fella came to deal with. You may have a mess in your own life today. God's not afraid of your mess. He wants to come in and light a fire and rearrange things until life gets better again. That's exactly what Nehemiah came down. First he took, a, and I'm rehearsing what we did last week a little bit here. He took a ride around the city at night when nobody was with him and nobody was listening and nobody even knew he was doing it. And he found out that there was so much rubble, so much decay, such a mess, and been this way for 150 years. 
that the gates of the city, which used to be the places where people came for justice, it was the authority of the cities where the judges sat, all these gates entering the city were so clogged up with debris, even after 150 years, that he couldn't even hardly ride under that, under that arch on his mule. Things build up, don't they? They don't just go away by themselves. Everybody knows what it's like to suffer reversals. Everybody knows what it's like to have things accumulate in your life that just begin to be so ominous and such a big task that you don't know if you can ever deal with it. Well, that's what he finds. And, and so he goes back to the people after making his assessment. And here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit is the only one that has the right to really declare this is a mess. That's what he does. It's called conviction. It's not pleasant. How would you like to have a man come from, from the king and, and look at your situation and say, this is a mess. This is a reproach. And the Holy Spirit will come from the presence of God because his first name is Holy. And anything that's not holy, he, he puts his finger on that. He doesn't just smile and say, well, that's your opinion. That's the way, you know, no problem. That's, that's the way people believe today. No, no, no. It, it, it's absolute We need to understand there's such a thing as absolute truth. It's always true if God says it's true. It doesn't matter what the polls show. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter what your personal experience is. It's true because God said it's true. And if we could ever settle that, we would be less confused than we are. But the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, this this is a mess right here. And then he goes on to say, let's rise and build. That would be no longer a reproach. It's not, a one, it's not enough to say we're the people of God, but when we're all overrun by stuff all the time, we need to understand there's a mess going on here, and it's a reproach. It ought not to be this way. And God says, it's not going to be this way if you listen to me. And so Nehemiah comes to town, and he, he tells the truth first. He, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, this is a mess right here. And people are sitting around saying, yeah, but it's such a big mess, Nehemiah. We, we've been this way forever. And they tell their, somebody done somebody wrong song. And, 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 you know, well, they did this to us. And here we are. And this is just the way it is, Nehemiah. You know they were thinking that. And this man has an audacious plan. We, we gathered around this altar last week because the plan was this. Let's rise and build so that we no longer be a reproach. Let's don't put up with this anymore. I would say 90% of both services gathered in this altar last week and we made some declarations and we prayed and we said, no longer. That's it. Today, everything changes. I'm not fool enough to think that everything went good this week. If we could take a show of hands, I'll guarantee you some of you got hit this week. Some of you got hammered this week. Some of you got discouraged this week because it's going right back to the way it was. We made this declaration, and here we are, and look at this. This is, this is a mess again. Well, that doesn't matter. God has a plan. And if you will listen to God and you will follow him, it will happen. Let me, let me read this scripture to you that we ended on last week. It says in verse 18, chapter 2 of Nehemiah, it says, And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. He's just come back from riding through the rubble. I told them of the hand of God that had been good upon me. I had favor. Also the king's words 
Folks, I, I read this a thousand times, and this morning the king's words popped up in my mind. I saw it, and I said, oh my gosh, the first, the first step out is acquainting oneself with the king's words. Until you know what he has said and build a foundation with what he has said, you don't know what he's saying. They go together. It's foundational. Nehemiah comes. He's got papers in his hands. They give him authority to cross every border. They give him authority to take authority over anybody he meets along the way. They give him troops to go with him. They give him resources that he does not have to pay for. He's got wood. He's got everything he needs to build this wall again. And he comes with resources and authority. I want you to know the Holy Spirit is not just a little feeling. He, he's coming with authority. He's been deputized by God the Father. He's been given the words of the Father. And he's here to enact them. He's here to bring what is theory into practice. What is hope into reality. Understand what I'm saying to you. This isn't just a book about God. These are the words of God. And in these words are contained everything necessary to bring about what he's thought about. If I'm going to keep you from being what God intends for you to be, I'm going to make you lay this aside. I'm going to downgrade it in your mind to the point, well, it's just how some people feel. I'm going to make you think, I can't really understand this book. I've never been to Bible college. I've been to Bible college. And I'll be honest with you, it helped a little. But if you could survive Bible college and be on fire for God, I, I give you my congratulations. But these words, they're spirit and they're truth, they're life. Blessed is he who finds them. Blessed is he who holds on to them and treasures them in his heart. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His, his leaf shall not fade. And whatever he does, it's going to prosper. The ungodly are not so. On, on, and on, and on it goes. Folks, we are such a feelings-conscious people. And our feelings lie to us all the time. And yet we will circumvent the, the frontal truth of God's Word for how we feel about God's Word. Now, let me tell you, not one word of it is going to fail. Not one word in it. Heaven and earth is going to fail. This is my word is not going to pass away. Wow. That makes me stand up a little straighter. Because I've, I've leaned into this book. I've lean, I believe what it means what it says. It says what it means. It's not, it's not esoteric. It's not out there just for certain people to understand it would be unlike God to pass by the average person with the average intellect and so forth and so on and just deal with the Illuminati. 
The Holy Spirit wants to remind us constantly, daily. And we have a part in that. We have to apply ourselves to this and study to show ourselves approved. Workmen that need not be shamed. So it's so important that we understand the words of the king are critical. Now, he said, let us rise up and build. And the people did. Verse 19 starts out and says, but when Sanballat the Horonite, and by the way, Sanballat's name means sin is God. Wow. How'd you like to grow up with that name? And, and yet, here's the thing about this. Sanballat was the, the Sumerian ruler at the time. Tobiah was the tax collector. So they had the, they had the, uh, the money tied up. They had the government tied up. And Geshem, the Arab, had the commerce tied up. These people were hamstrung for a future. The fox was in the hen house. They had nothing going on for them. And, and the, the, the idea that sin is God is, is not so impractical as you might think. I remember when I was, uh, well, the Lord was convicting me. I was living life, you know, not exactly the best way. And to be honest, there were a couple areas at that, at that age that, that were really difficult for me. And I thought about following God. I thought about really getting on fire for God. I wanted to be different. But every time I think about it, I think to myself, you know, what am I going to do on Friday night now? Everybody else is going to be out partying and having a good time. And where am I going to be in a Bible study? And the other side of that equation was I thought, you know, I want to get married, and uh, I'm sure that if I walk this way, I'm going to have to marry somebody that's homely, just but, but really spiritual. I'm just being honest with you. That was a big deal. I don't, I don't want to be that weird guy. Too late, but I, I don't want to be that weird guy even yet, but... But the bottom line is that, that we, we get to the idea where we think that only sin is fun. It's fun for a while because your, your flesh is fallen. Your old nature is all about that. And let me tell you what, there comes a day what you've sown comes back and you get to reap. And God will use those times to let us know that the sin God is not the guy you want to be following. No matter what he promises you, he doesn't have anything to give you that you really need. But they are all tied up with this. And here's what I want you to see. They had the presence of God in their city. They had biblical worship going on in their city. But they had these three yahoos controlling their life. And it's not okay. This is the height of hypocrisy to have God in our heart, but everything around us is, reminds us more of the old way of life and the rule of Satan than it reminds us of the kingdom of God. And it is not okay. This is not a balanced lifestyle at all. And so the Holy Spirit comes and he wants to, he wants to categorize it as what it is. He said, this is a mess. This is a reproach. Let's rise and build. And when people do, notice this, verse 19, when they heard about these three guys, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you were doing? Will you rebel against the king? Are you going to overthrow the system? 
that's been levied upon you? Or you think you can get out of this just by doing something? And intimidation and lying. But notice with me, not one time in this whole book is the enemy actually physically in contact with or able to do anything to stop what Nehemiah is perpetrating. It was all a head game. It still is a head game. The enemy has no authority to overwhelm and overtake a person indwelt by the Spirit of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I need to reflect that. In the midst of craziness and darkness and disappointment and disillusionment and even hopelessness, I have to reach down somewhere and say what he says. I need to get in agreement with what he is and what he says. I am responsible. Too many Christians are walking around in the mully grubs all the time. They're always talking about all that's wrong. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, uh, I don't know. I've been there. I've been as low as a person can get. I have had times when I didn't know if there was any hope of changing it. But one thing I did know is it isn't God's fault. Probably I had a good hand in it. Because his promises to me are yea and amen. They're never, when you get good enough, they either are or they aren't. And they are. They're on. He's no respecter of persons. He's not just doing something for certain people in a certain socioeconomic arena and nothing for other people. He's there for everybody. And you know what? Every one of us comes to a point where either we're going to believe Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, or we're going to believe Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was outnumbered, believe me. These people historically were failures. They knew they deserved to be treated like they're being treated. But this man comes with authority, comes with letters and king's words, and he says, this era is over. I want to declare to you today, it's been over for a long time. But if we're still allowing the enemies to come in at will, we don't stop them. You need a border just like your nation needs a border. What nation in the world puts up with nonsense like that? You think it works? Ask Germany. Ask Italy. Ask Sweden. Ask Norway. Ask anybody you want. They are running on empty today. And let me just tell you, if there was ever a prophetic picture of what's going on in history, this is it. This is it. We're being overwhelmed and overrun by doctrinal things that people are trying to put. Mentalities that have never worked in history. Things that do not not work on a personal level and sure as the world don't work on a national level. It's crazy what we're putting up with. But you know, when Tobiah and Sanballat have been running the show for 150 years, this is what you get. But the Holy Spirit of God is not giving up on his plan. He comes with everything necessary to pull it off. Here's the thing. Verses 17 and 18 of this chapter 
we see a response. It doesn't matter what God wants to do if no one else puts their, their hand to it. And at verse 18, it says, they set their hands to this good work. Folks, we've got promises upon promises upon promises upon promises, but sometimes we know the promises. We're like the promises. We may even speak the promises, but if we don't do the promises, you get what you get. Sure is quiet in here. Realize that the tormentors of your past will try and undermine your efforts and draw you back into old patterns. A strong confession is good for the soul and devastating to theirs. Verses 19 and 20. Here's a warning. Anticipate reprisals as you start to turn things around. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The voices of their past mercilessly mock them. A litany of questions about their capabilities, their motives, their pitiful resources, and so forth. This is, the, this is the turning point right here. What we see here is the people, in verse 18, set their hands to it, set their hands to this good work. In chapter 3, we see one of the biggest miracles in the entirety of the Bible, and that is that everybody got involved. This guy built the wall in front of his house. His neighbor built the wall in front of his house. His neighbor built the wall in front of his house. When they had a place that the wall was low and vulnerable, they gathered to that place. When their attack came over here on this side of the, of the wall and they heard that there's an attack coming or a breach may be possible, they, they gathered there. This is the way this body of Christ thing works, folks. We have preached that forever out of Ephesians 4.16, that the body grows by that which every joint supplies. And just this last year, I've started to see that happen in a, on a scale that I've never seen before. We actually, at one point here early on, I haven't had a, a reassessment, but we had 75% of our congregation volunteering somewhere. 75%, folks. The norm is about 20 It's amazing when we've got skin in the game, how we get to partake of the grace of the game, how we we feel alive again because we're giving out what we've been given. And that's what happens. You can store it up. You can bury it. But God says, if you give it away, if you use it, if you empower other people, I'm going to give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's the way it is. Faithful and little becomes ruler over much. And most of us want much, but we don't want to do anything with the little. Last hour needed this. Now, I I know you don't. But I'm just telling you that part of getting well is getting over yourself. Punch your neighbor and say, he's talking about you again. You know, because most of us are all worried about our thing, and we can't figure out why nobody else is worried about our thing. They're worried about their thing. They don't have time to talk about your thing or care about your thing or release resources to your thing. Don't be surprised by this. But amazingly enough, when we give away what we've been given, it's amazing how people give back to us. It's kingdom, folks. It's kingdom. And so don't sit around waiting for somebody to take notice of your situation. They will. But if you get busy doing something for somebody else, 
It's amazing how God touches you. I like to brag on my daughter right now. That little girl was given no, no chance. Brain cancer. You know what she does with her time? Seeks out everybody she can find that's having problems with cancer and pours her life into them. And she's getting healthier by the day. Thank God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I've just got to tell you, I'm amazed because I see so many people crumble and, 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 and implode for such lesser things. I'm just saying the ways of God are higher than our ways. They're past finding out, but you can find them out if you just walk them out. Huh? So what we're stumbling over is exactly the thing God wants us to build with. The people were assaulted by Sanballat and Tobiah. Let me take you to chapter 4 just for a minute here. Got a whole minute and 39 seconds to wrap this whole thing up. Listen to this. But when it happened, all the people working on their, on their wall in front of their house, but when it happened, it so happened that when Sanballat had heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Then he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Do you think there's any chance they could do that? Will they offer sacrifices? Well, yeah, they are. Will they complete it in one day, in a day? No, no, they ever said they would. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned. They attacked them in their personhood. They attacked them in their motives. They attacked them in their qualifications. They attacked them in their relationship with God. They attacked them in their ability to accomplish a mission. And they attacked them in the quality of their work. Five things. But even more important, he says, will they revive the, the rubbish, the stones that are burned? We know historically that when limestone, which was used in the walls, those big blocks of limestone that were, that were quarried off-site and brought in and placed, that when a great fire emerges inside the confines like that, it cracks those white limestone rocks and they shatter and they're all burned on the outside, and they're useless as far as uh, normal construction. Broken pieces. They were everywhere. They were littering every inch of that city. I was reading this one day, and the Lord said to me, the rubble is the resource. I saw it. The rubble was lying exactly where the walls used to be except for some that rolled down the hill in gravity. And I was standing on a high spot in Jerusalem not too many years ago when I looked down and there was a section of Nehemiah's wall still there. It wasn't big, beautiful cut stones that were laid there so gorgeous and so architecturally correct. It was little pieces, very few bigger than a basketball, so intricately woven together that they were still standing after all these years. And when I read that line, 
stones that are burned. I heard a guy refer to this one time years ago. Bob Mumford was his name. And while he was talking, I went off on a tangent. Because I saw it. Those stones that are burned tell the story of the past. It's all about their scar. It's all about they're not what they used to be. They're broken, they're shattered, and they're black on the outside. They're beautifully white when they were put in the wall. Oh my gosh. In this new wall, we don't hide our burn. In this new wall, when they put that blackened stone back up there, that shard of what used to be, and they find a place for it, we are living stones, the Lord says. We are built together by his hand. We call the body of Christ. And he takes a burnt stone. I was a burnt stone. And he puts us back in the wall. And rather than shouting and singing, there's somebody done somebody wrong song the rest of their life, laying in a heap of rubble. They now stand tall and say, you knocked me down, but you didn't knock me out. Here I stand, burn marks and all, brokenness and all. Here I am, here I am, bring it. You understand what I'm saying? We talk about our failures. We talk about where we've come from. We don't try and sanitize it. We are a product of our decisions. But you can make one decision that trumps all the other bad ones. God loves to take people who have been beat up, burned out, hurt in life, and even hurt in church, and build an army. And Jesus said this, those who are forgiven much love much. And it's so true. Until you've walked it, You're religious. But when you've walked it and Jesus has come by where you were laying in your despair and in your wastedness and in your brokenness and in your your selfishness or whatever it is, and then when he says, I'll have that one, I'm just thinking about the builders. They'd be walking through that rubble and they're looking, you know, they got an odd looking place. If you've ever laid brick or laid block or worked with things like that, you know sometimes you've got to look a long time to find one that fits. When you're putting pieces together all day long, it kind of gets good after a while. See how they lock together? See how they fit? And it's right here. I just picked it up and and put it up in the wall. And and, and that's what God has done with all of us. He said, I'll I'll, I'll take that one there. Stone that the builders rejected himself became the head of the cornerstone. If that would happen for Jesus, folks, it's going to happen for us. So I'm here today to declare before you, it does not matter how far you've fallen. It does not matter how often you've fallen. It does not matter in the direction you've fallen. We're all fallen. The Romans 6, 11, I believe it is, tells us, reckon yourself indeed dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our destiny is not to lay there and be a spectacle our destiny is not to lay there and let, let the enemy trample over us to get into the, into the house of God. We're here 
to begin to ensure an environment in which the kingdom of God can actively grow and multiply and change lives now, yes, and forever. We cannot lose sight of the big picture. So folks, we'll we'll go on and and catalog some of these other attacks and things, but but the bottom line of it is real simple. It's 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 a battle of demoralization. It's a battle of lying about your value to God. It's a battle of of, of trying to tell you you do not have the potential. Others do, but you don't. And I'm here to tell you, none of us have any potential naturally. We have to be called of God. We have to be blessed of God to understand. We have to be blessed of God to be able to receive grace. We have to be blessed of God to be able to illustrate through grace. It's all about Him. No one... No one is inherently disqualified. Every creed, every tongue, however many sexes we end up with before it's all said and done. All of us get to come into this building. All of us get to be part of the answer, not part of the problem. Would you stand? Ministry team, if you'd come back for a few minutes, we'd love to have you up here. Somebody in this place today needs to needs to get strength, needs to get courage, needs to get fellowship. And uh, we're here to help. We're here to help. I've been so encouraged over the years, every time I've read this book and every time I've studied this book, because I see more in it every time. And what I see is a very big God with a great big heart And he loves to just put in the enemy's face the trophies of his grace. Every one of us in this room today, or who would hear it by electronic means anywhere else, have the potential to be everything God wants us to be. Would you just lift your hands to him today? It's just always good to just get honest with the Lord. Some of us need to say, Father, forgive me for not building up the wall in front of my house. Forgive me for thinking someone else would or could do it for me. Today, I put my hands to the good task. I say, devil, you're not coming through here anymore. Your day is done. I'm trusting the Lord. I don't claim I can do it myself, but I'm trusting the Lord today to lift up these hands that hang down, to strengthen these feeble knees, to give me a heart for you a heart for your people and to put it all on the line every day. I've been bought with a price. I don't, I don't deserve to ask you to follow me around. I'm to follow you around. Forgive me for my egocentric ways. Forgive me, oh God, for not seeing the big picture. Today, God, I, I ask you to open the eyes of my understanding that I can know what the hope of my calling is and make that election sure. Jesus, I pray today that you would just come as the only you can and speak into hearts and minds. Let us know personally, personally, how much you love us, how much you plan for us to be and do in life. Challenge us, Lord Jesus. Say to us once once again, let us rise up and build so we will. 
So I bless you folks today. Father, I ask that you just let your grace just catch up with them every moment of their day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.